Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast is brought to you by Heavy Metal Crayons. From the same heathens that brought you jazzy gel pens and mariachi markers, try brand new Heavy Metal Crayons. Why color with boring old red when you can use lamb's blood or demon horn? Chant your vengeful mantras and pine for terminal desolation while using the all-new fire and flame shade of orange. We've even managed to identify the colors of anarchy and torture. Also, be sure to try the new Prince of Darkness edition, which is just 666 shades of black, including abyss, witch hunt, sin, and eternal damnation. Heavy metal crayons. Patent pending. Fifty-one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Long fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, and yes, sir, you know I got to get paid. High ball, back to right center, and the Braves have landed. Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, and yes, sir, you know I got to get paid. Swing and drive, back to right, looking to the sun. Twenty-five lighters for my twenty-five folks. Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by Armchair All-Americans. I am your host, Dylan Short, and joining me as always, Adam Doc Herbert, the man, the myth, the legend. Doc, what's going on, bud? Oh, not a whole lot. I hope you are doing as well as I am, my friend. It's just another day in slightly dreary paradise here, man. Getting ready for social media night next weekend. So for all you listeners uh, listeners to the show, if you guys are going to be at social media night, make sure you come and find us. We will be easily recognizable. I am not going to tell you how. You will see that for yourself. Trust me when I say you will not be able to miss us. Come up, say hey, let us know if you love the show or if you hate the show. Really, uh, just be just be nice about it. I don't want to cry in front of people. Um, but that is uh, enough about that. We kind of waited. If you're listening, this is we recorded this on Thursday for all you Friday listeners. So we actually pushed a day so we could get to the end of this Braves national series, and the Braves end up splitting the series two two. Um, not. Not bad at all, especially going on the road. Um, especially not with how not with how the series started in that doubleheader where uh, Jeffrey Rodriguez all of a sudden dominated you. Uh, you go out and you beat Scherzer, uh, or you beat their bullpen, but you you put a two Scherzer behind another outstanding start behind Sean Newcomb. Going to today, feeling pretty good. Anibal had been outstanding all year. 
Weird thing happens, though, as the Braves end up losing three or losing two pitchers, almost losing three starters in the same series. So I guess first off, we should start with the elephant in the room, and that is uh, Max Freed. He of the Gypsy Curse is the only thing I can think of. Somebody he, he must have walked across an Indian burial ground. Somebody put a little hex on him because the man just keeps getting some of the unluckiest injuries I've ever seen. And I'm not just talking about the blisters. Blisters is, is, is one of those that you can tend to struggle with for a while. Tends tends to be with how you hold the baseball, how the seams dig into the fingers. If you're predisposed to it, you're pretty much going to deal with that for a fair bit until you just build up gnarly guitarist fingers. But some of the others, man, like that pulls his groin trying to avoid the line drive that nailed him. And he is on the DL. There is no set timetable for him to return, which is a shame because he looked good. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> he's he's had this the same thing, just this eternally frustrating career. Uh, when he was with the Padres, he had Tommy John. And then starting last year, when he when he was finally back, you know, he was nails down the stretch for Rome in 2016. When 2017 started, he had back problems immediately and just just had a horrible, horrible year just based out of injuries. And it's not like he's having this one chronic thing that always happens. It's like he, he's not got chronic elbow issues or anything. It's like Tommy John, back problems, blisters, groin strain. You know, he's if I just gave you this list of injuries, you would swear this is a Mets pitcher. This keeps keeps happening to. Nice. And he got nailed on the side. I mean, the, the exit velocity on that ball is 104. And you could just see as soon as he was walking off, he's just going, I cannot believe this happened again. Because you saw earlier this year, you saw what he could be against the Cardinals. He was great against the Dodgers a couple weeks ago. He was really rounding into form. And he, he was going to be like a, a necessary piece of the rotation. And now just put him on the list of Braves pitchers that are just kind of on the shelf for any number of various reasons i hate it for him he's just eternally snake bitten and the way that his luck is going i mean being actually snake bitten is probably not that far-fetched just keep him away from chicken wings please um but the and and you're you're right he wasn't just going to be an important piece the braves had decided they were going to run a six-man rotation because of how well he'd been pitching he was in the rotation he was finally starting to to figure out who he was up here not just dominating lower level guys he'd figured out he'd kind of i don't know if you guys have have really dug into his last starts but he's not overthrowing that curveball too much where i've been i've been a broken record on this the loopers look really pretty but when you throw something 75 something like that and it's got a ton of movement like that it gives the hitter a lot of time to adjust even if he's not uh, not expecting that pitch so he'd learned to drop it in occasionally enough to where you know he's still utilizing it because it is one of his better offerings but he'd started using the change up more and a little bit less of the curve and he'd started moving his fastball around instead of just trying to hit it inside or just trying to hit it low he was moving it up in the zone down in the zone all over the place and you had seen even in those two innings where he looked dialed in and the nationals really outside of Juan Soto being Juan Soto I mean you didn't really see much and it was. It looked like it was going to be another outstanding Max Freed start. Instead, he goes down with injury, and Colby Allard has to come in for his first relief appearance. And there's no nice way to say this, but Colby got blasted continuously 
every yeah. pitch. And the the hallmark of, about him has been he's a pinpoint command guy. He can put it wherever he wants it, which is good because he's topping out at you know ninety one. And in this, his first start against the Marlins, he did not have his his curveball, which. If the first time that you've ever seen Colby Allard pitch was against the Marlins and then against the Nationals, I get why you probably think he sucks. But having watched him in Rome and having watched him in Mississippi, the pitcher that is here now, that is not Colby Allard. Colby's got the second best curveball in your entire system, only behind Tukey. It's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. But he didn't have the pitch working against Miami. But Miami's lineup is not stout enough to where – he still wound up giving up four runs, I think. Right. Um, but but they that is not a, a lineup that you fear as much as one where you you're looking at Harper and Rendon and, and Soto. So here comes Allard. It's like it's almost a blessing that you have somebody who's who is the designated twenty sixth man who can step in and do this for you instead of having to just Johnny Holstaff the rest of the game, the first game of a doubleheader, like if they had brought up, brought, excuse me, if they had brought up a position player to be the 26th man, then what? Because then you're staring and you got 16 more innings to fill that day, not to mention you have two more games, you know, 22 games over 20 days. It was almost kind of a blessing, and he got hammered. He just, nothing was breaking he was throwing ninety mile per hour meatballs down the center of the plate, so it kind of became up in the free. zone. Yeah, belt became, high. You can't do that. You just can't do that. You know. Tell you what it shows for everybody ever who has said that velocity doesn't matter. Pop in the film of that game because Max Freed was dialed in up in the zone. Max was throwing ninety three, ninety four, even topped out at the ninety seven. That I saw, which was nice to see, but sitting 93, 94, getting consistent swings and misses. Sean Newcomb in the second game, up in the zone, 93, 94, swings and misses. Colby Allard, 90 mile an hour, not just giving up the two home runs, every single ball that was hit was hammered and it was lifted in the air and they were deep deep fly ball outs like they were on it because when you throw 90 you have to be pinpoint because throwing 90 in today's game it's like throwing 83 like everybody is used to seeing 95 so in essence you've actually sped up everybody's bat when you're throwing your hardest pitch and i'm not trying to hammer colby because it was a second outing i get that and If you've listened to our show and you've listened to the people that we've had on, you know what to expect out of Colby. This is a guy who's a high floor type of guy, but not anybody that's expected to be all of a sudden be Mike Soroka or be Tuki Tucson or even be Luis Gohara. This is a guy that you're expecting to almost be that John Lackey type and not even be John Lackey, but be a guy who's going to have an ERA in the fours. Uh, be a guy who's who's never going to dominate people, but he's going to eat a ton of innings. Uh, he's got good he's got good pinpoint command, which allows him to get weak outs, so he doesn't drive up high pitch counts. So he's a guy that you look at and think he'll be able to go deeper in games. The problem is these type of guys are going to have these types of outings. There's going to be outings where the stuff doesn't work, and he just does not have the arm talent to succeed on those days. So. Again, I'm not going to say that it's raining fire and brimstone and Colby Allard is horrible and needs to be traded immediately, but 
when you are looking at the arms and the Braves minor league system, it is important to note that just because these guys are highly touted, and all of them are, and just because he's a first-round pick, and just because he was taken before Mike Soroka, does not mean that all of these guys have top-of-the-rotation potential. And when you get into conversations about acquiring pieces like Bumgarner or DeGrom or yada, 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 throw in ace pitcher who might somehow be available here. That is the type of thing that you have to consider when you're talking about guys like this, because I have talked to a number of people. I'm sure you have too, doc who have come up with this. Well, why would I trade for let's say DeGrom? Cause he's my guy. Uh, why would I trade for DeGrom when I might have three of them in the system? Like, you don't have three in the system. And more than, more than anything, um, it just really demonstrates you see so many people that are saying, go with the young guys. Let's roll with the youth down the stretch. This is why you kind of can't do that because not, you know, prospects are not perfect. They flash their talent. And sometimes you have guys like Allard is kind of falling off the back end of top hundred lists or, or he's in, he's in the nineties. I, I think pipeline had him, you know, some, Keith some, somewhere in there. Keith law took him out of his top 100 and Keith law was the first one to do that. As much as I don't like Keith law a lot of the time, most of the time um, he was, he was on the Allard downgrade before everybody else was. So I'll give him credit on that. True. But the difference between the 15th ranked prospect in baseball, which Mike Soroka was and the 90th ranked prospect. <laughs> it's a big deal. Colby. I mean, Mike Soroka is very special. He's very special. And Luis Gahara, depending on which publication you look at, he is in the twenties. So you saw that stuff. Like the difference between those guys and Colby is huge. But when people hear prospect, I think that the initial reaction is just to assume top of the rotation guy. Even if somebody's saying like, you know, you don't want to throw the ace tag on anybody. Because Too many people it, doing that, by the way. If you're throwing ace on more than one person in a system, stop. It's it's dangerous because there because there's so few of them. Now, this is why, you know, John Hart. He was the one that always is attributed to the phrase, you get 10 pitchers and hope that, that two work out. Um, and you're seeing that because it's like, oh, Soroka's got a shoulder thing. Gahara's got a shoulder thing. And he's got some personal issues. And Freed, um, you know, is is this close to getting an anvil dropped on his head. And now Colby lost some velocity. And who knows what, what Tukey's thing will be if, if he's even got a thing. But just because somebody doesn't come up and immediately dominate, there's still room to for the, these guys to be really solid pieces like if christian pache doesn't learn how to take a walk well then that's going to compromise some of the aspects of his game but you this is why you gamble on these guys that have a whole bunch of tools because you can still extract a lot of value out of their other tools even if certain aspects of their game never develop this is why guys like trout and mookie Betts are, are unicorns. so special yeah and- they can do everything and by the way it's time we start throwing francisco lindor into that conversation with those two as well we were talking about this before the show uh francisco lindor just he's probably this is going to sound bad to say from a team that has freddie freeman lindor is the best position player in baseball right now or is the best infield player in baseball right now um better than altuve better than albies right now i'm sorry i love ozzy but lindor is another level um but I, I agree wholeheartedly with what you're saying, getting back on, on the Colby Allard thing. 
why did I say Allard? Too many people messing up his name, ruining it for me. It's Colby Allard. Um, I agree. It's too. It is far too early to just throw in towels on these guys. This is what happens when prospects come up. He's twenty years old, so there's a bit of a learning curve there. This is vastly older competition that he's facing. Uh, this is vastly better competition that he's facing. So he has to find out. Colby's not the type of guy to come up and dominate straight away anyway. He wasn't when he was moving up through the system. Consistently, his first and second starts were pretty were, were nothing special because he had to figure out with his lessened stuff what is the right way for him in particular to attack these hitters. Now, Colby is an extremely smart pitcher, so I, I, I kind of – I kind of gave him a little little bit of insults there, I guess, or wasn't high on him, so I'm going to give him some props too. Colby's the type of guy who he's not going to be how can I how can I phrase this correctly? I don't think he needs as much seasoning as say a Tuki Toussaint who's needed every bit of the time he's had in the minors, but Colby is a guy who is going to continuously need to redefine his his stuff and his approach. Colby is a guy who is always going to have to be adjusting to whatever trend happens to be going on in baseball at that time. Pitchers like Colby and like what Anibal Sanchez has turned into and what Bartolo Colon has morphed into, those types of pitchers constantly have to be on their toes. And there's something to be said for that as well. That's why a guy like Glavin could be so good because when you are constantly having to keep up with the trends, you are constantly you can keep yourself one step ahead of everybody else. So yes, Colby could very well end up being a solid guy for 10 years here. Very well could be. Now, do I personally expect it? No. Not because of anything of Colby, but because of who's behind him. And I think that's one of the things that can get lost on some of some of the people who who rush to the judgment that if he doesn't pan out here, then he was just a bad prospect or he was overrated or or he just wasn't good. Sometimes it's not about you being good. Sometimes it's about the guy behind you being better. No, that's that's a really good point. And the cream will rise to the top and general attrition will kind of help to sort some of this out. And beware of the small sample sizes. You know, if if you've given up on Colby Allard after seven major league <laughs> innings, you know that's, Shame that's on you. dangerous. But on the on the other side of it, let's let's take a, a separate look. Let's say that Colby came up and kicked ass in that first start against Miami, and then he came in to relieve Freed against Washington and shut him down for six or seven innings. You would still be saying you would be saying it's too small of a sample size to reach judgment. Well, it's it works the same in both directions. You can't. It takes some guys years to figure it out. And Colby Allard is twenty years old. He's doing way better with what he is at twenty than I ever did. You know what I mean? His ceiling is way higher than, than mine ever was too. But <laughs> he's he's still a prospect, you know, and he's gonna. He's going to go back to to AAA, and he's going to make more starts at Gwinnett, and he'll spend some time there next year. Or who knows? He'll get traded for somebody, and he'll, you know, maybe he'll be Adam Wainwright, and maybe he'll be Jojo Reyes. But this is is why you can't jump to, to conclusions until way, way after this. Now, I feel like you brought up Jojo Reyes just to take a shot at me, uh, because if you if you pay attention to Nakahoma Nation on Twitter, they will continuously rib me about Jojo Reyes, and I'm not afraid of exposing a bad take. Um, I thought Jojo Reyes was going to be special. He was special, just the wrong kind of special. Um, 
he was a very bad special. So uh, <laughs> I like how you go Wayno and JoJo, um, but <laughs> to that end, uh, that's a that's a very good point as well. Colby's going to go back to Gwinnett and get back to starting, and Colby was very very good in Gwinnett. He'll continue to be very good in Gwinnett because Colby's a guy that, at worst, is an extremely consistent guy. At worst, he's extremely consistent. He'll have a clunker here and there, but that's to be expected when you don't have 98 to make a mistake with. It's 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 a lot easier to make a mistake pitch when you throw 98 mile an hour than when you throw 90. And that's one of the things that Colby will learn. So he's going to end up trying to become a master of command instead of control, which what we said about Sean Newcomb last year. Look at Sean Newcomb this year and as compared to last year. Last year, throwing 95, 97, getting powdered everywhere. This year, throwing 93, ramping up to 97 when he needs to, but sitting 92, 93, all of a sudden, people can't seem to barrel him up. And that's that's the mark of a pitcher instead of somebody who just happens to throw hard. Tukey's going to go through the same thing. Tukey's going to have plenty of starts in his career where his fastball is staying straight and he's hanging it and it's getting mashed or his curveball doesn't have the same bite, so he only goes fastball changeup. He'll have starts where that happens. We've already seen it happen with Gohara. Unfortunately, looked like Freed was starting to, to really develop into his great his, his potential that we were hoping when we got him from San Diego, but he had bad starts like that too. And that goes for Wes Parsons as well, who got into the game today finally for his debut And if you were a guy that had been waiting for Wes Barsons to finally get to pitch in a major league game, because quite frankly, he'd earned it with the way he pitched this year. If you look just at the line, you're going to think it was a really bad debut for him. And the first inning, quite frankly, was uh, walked in a run. He got hit in the ankle, which I do think had a fair bit to do with it. Uh, He didn't look to be trusting his stuff. But before that, he laced two fastballs and got mashed by the pitcher. And by, was it Adam Eaton or Trey Turner? Uh, uh, Adam, Adam Eaton. Eaton. Um, and then I think he threw eight straight balls, um, walked in a run, gave up a long sack fly to Anthony Rendon that was about two feet short of being a grand slam. Another great play by Acuna that we'll talk about a little bit later. But you got to give Parsons props. Parsons is a guy who was, I don't, I don't recall him ever being ranked until this year. On, on any sort of, of top prospect list. I don't think he ever broke a top 30. Uh, I think I believe he was an undrafted guy, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I could be dead wrong on that. Doc will know. No, you're you're right. He was, he was undrafted. And, and I think he was like 20th ranked in the system, but this is in the days where it was like Sims and Bethancourt and J.R. Graham were like the future. So that kind of tells you everything you need to know. And he, he's another guy who doesn't have overwhelming stuff. He'd he hit about 93 on his fastball, topping it, uh, but doesn't, doesn't have electric stuff, but was very good at locating his fastball down in the zone. Now, he didn't have it today, but I thought he did a good job working around it. If you look over it, he did what he was supposed to do, which was eat innings, and he kept you in the game. Yes, he gave up runs, and I believe it was three consecutive innings, but overall, I thought it was a good debut for Wes Parsons. He's not a guy that you're going to look to as, as a piece for the future that's going to put you over the top, but he's the type of guy that you that you need to see in that situation. If you 
were to compare him to somebody on the Braves that you'd be looking at, basically like Luke Jackson. If Wes Parsons gets to the point where you're more comfortable with him than Luke Jackson, that's Wes Parsons' role in a major league in a major league rotation. He's your long relief guy that comes in when the starter gets hurt. And for that, I thought it was a successful debut for Wes Parsons. What do you think? No, I, I I wholeheartedly agree. And it's it's this weird piece of symmetry where it's like Braves pitcher getting the last out of the second inning gets nailed by a comebacker and then here comes the rookie to replace him in the in the uh, bottom of the third of the first and last games of this series that's just incredibly bizarre but Parsons kind of did what we were maybe kind of hoping Allard was going to do and that's just eat the innings and keep from having to just you can get five innings from this one guy because Parsons is going to wind up going back to Gwinnett after this start probably to clear room um there's an open spot on the 40 now that Tukey can take, but I think that Tukey will wind up taking Parsons' spot on the 25. So you you get five innings out of this one guy as opposed to getting one inning out of five different guys and burning your bullpen up when you're going to go exactly. up against the Brewers', Brewers offense. So even if the line does look kind of messy and once he got hit by the comebacker, you're right. He, he lost faith in his stuff, and it was his plant foot too. So it's like he's... You know, you don't know how bad it's going to hurt any time you land. You kind of have to be tentative. But after that first inning, he, he kind of settled in a little bit. I was very impressed by the fact that he gave 65, 70 pitches, somewhere around there, for the first time pitching in, in a minute. So he'll be back. And I think that, that yeah, if he, if he serves the, the Luke Jackson role or the Christian Martinez role where his job is to keep you from burning through all your best guys, well, then – there's room for that on a major league roster. I mean, look at Luke Jackson. Last year and most of this year, Luke Jackson was horrible. Now, lately, something has – I don't know if they gave Luke Jackson's jersey to somebody else and somebody else has been pitching in his place, but lately Luke Jackson has been very good. Uh, and that That's the role that I look at Parsons to take. And he's a guy that I could, I could see when rosters expand. I could see Parsons being back up here. Adam McCreary as well getting in the game. Uh I like Adam McCreary just for the fact that he's 6'9". He is a giant on the mound. He doesn't throw as hard as I would expect a giant to throw, uh, but it is always fun to see somebody that tall who could actually stand eye-to-eye with Aaron Judge. And McCreary gave up a few runs, but for the most part, I thought McCreary looked better than I expected. I never expected a lot out of McCreary, but all in all, aside from a couple misplaced pitches i'll say uh, a couple of misplaced pitches it was it was not a bad outing for mccreary either it was a good get your feet wet even though the braves lose today i thought it was a good idea to use parsons and mccreary today in a game where quite frankly i thought we were going to have to punt it i thought i thought mccreary did did uh admirable in his role too i mean at, the, at that point you're almost in garbage time so you you kind of give the guy a shot to go out there and just kind of see what happens being a big dude like that um, you have deception on your side you know or you're you're pitching from you know 54 in, feet instead of 60 yeah where you know instead of like the mound is now like three feet higher with a with a normal guy standing on it throwing throwing downhill to you so he, he's got that working for him. I got a chance to meet him. Super nice guy. For as big as he looks on TV, he, he's even bigger in person. I'm not sure about this, but I'm pretty sure he could dunk a basketball. Uh, I hope so. That, yeah, well, I, I hope so. Uh, 
but yeah, I mean, he it's if you had told me going into spring training that there that the Braves were going to be in a pennant race and the pitching roster for one game was going to be Animal Sanchez, uh, Wes Parsons, and Adam McCreary, I don't know if I would have believed you just because of how many. Yeah, how many different things have to swirl together to make something like that happen? You know, they wound up losing this particular game, which sucks, but it's it's less than 1% of the season. These, these things happen, you know? It, this team, ideally at this point, looks like they're going to wind up losing 75 games on the season, which is a lot. <laughs> That's a lot <laughs> of games to lose. But all things considered, coming into this stretch, this – when this started, it was Marlins, Mets, Nationals. And that's three teams that had sub-500 records. And the way that this team has gone all year, it has been play good against the good teams, play bad against the bad teams. So these were – you can't really afford to have a stretch like that when you're in this type of pennant race. So they had to be successful on this road trip. They took both games from the Marlins. They took three out of four from the Mets and they split the series with Washington. All things considered, that's eight out of 11, or that eight out of 11, or seven out of 10, because one of the games wound up uh, wound up getting tabled, I think. So that's that's not bad. The The Phillies have been playing, uh, playing the Diamondbacks. Everything is just kind of where it was. They didn't gain any ground, but they didn't lose any ground. And as for right now, We'll take that. Still in the division race, still ahead of Washington, still in the wild in the wild card. I mean, that's it's a good place to be for right now. I, I think they did as as good as you could expect. Now, this twenty two games in twenty days, this is going to tell a lot about the club. I'm not looking for them to to dominate this. I'm not looking for them to to win three quarters of the games. Uh, this is one of those stretches that you need to bear through. Like, I'm not. I'm not saying that you have to go out there and win 18 out of the 22. That's not really feasible when you're playing them. So, so many of them at the same time. I need to see them be at least 500 or at least three games over 500 for this, and I'll call that success. Especially when you look at the teams that they're playing. Playing Milwaukee is not an easy feat. That is an outstanding club that made themselves better by acquiring Jonathan Scope and Mike Mustakas. So now that, that Travis Shaw can either – they can either run an infield of Scope, Mustakas, and Shaw, or they can bring Shaw off the bench to go along with Yelich and Lorenzo Cain and Jesus Aguilar. That's a pretty expansive lineup, to say the least. Um, their pitching can be had, though. They've been good this year, but none of their starters are anybody that I look at and say, well, crap, call that a loss. None of their pitchers are, are that type of guy. So you can't – You it's going to be tough. Your pitching is going to have to nail them to the wall. And with it being kind of thin right now, hopefully Anibal doesn't miss any real time. Hopefully he's back in time for his next start. Hopefully Freed does not miss a lot. I would expect he's on the – did he get already get put on the 15-day? Or 10-day? Uh, yeah, yeah, he did. Hopefully, he, uh, hopefully he's able to come back right when that 10-day comes out. But if not – Maybe you see Tuki Toussaint get his debut. I would I would cautiously expect that. Colby might get a second start. Um, they may give him another shot because he's already been up here. Hopefully they'll they'll give him some run and see if that curveball can can get working. And if his curveball works, then you'll see a different Colby Allard. As it is right now, though, with Newcomb and Fulty operating the way they are, you feel great about those two. Um Tehran, 
this is one of the things that irks me. Tehran hasn't been great this year. He hasn't been good, quite frankly. He's been pretty bad. But lately, the amount of sky is falling type of takes every time Tehran gives up a run or two in the first inning is getting a little out of hand uh, because Tehran is not good in the first inning, and he has not been for like his entire career. He is bad in the first inning, something like a 7 ERA in the first inning this year. After yeah. that, he's been lights out. So, Tehran, while the numbers are certainly not good numbers, he has been much better lately. Um, I still, I think he's the guy that you're going to upgrade in the offseason, quite frankly. Um, I think that, as I've said this numerous times, I think Tehran is a player that got caught in the wrong era of baseball. Uh, as hitters are much more likely to take a called third strike if they don't feel that they can do anything with it. I think that that kills a guy like Tehran who made his bones living just off the plate to induce weak contact. I think that, that was the worst thing for, for Tehran, and he's trying to learn a new system of pitching on the fly. Just because Fulty was able to completely change his mechanics and dominate this year, which, by the way, uh, I'm going to give him a ton of credit for because not only has he doubled his value, he's done it while changing everything about his mechanics and the way that he pitches a game, which is incredible. But it doesn't usually go that smoothly. So for Tehran to be completely changing what he does and how he goes about his game, I expected some struggles. Not a five FIP, but I expected some struggles. Yeah, he he's just his run of opening day starts is definitely is over. over. At, at least at least for the Braves. You know, you never know. Maybe Maybe he'll wind up going to getting traded to Baltimore uh, in the offseason so he can reunite with with Roger because that's when honestly that's when Julio was uh, was best. Although if he's going to go pitch at uh, Camden Yards, then his maybe he'll go to Oakland. With, maybe he'll go to Oakland where he can be a flyball pitcher or San Diego or some some really cavernous place, you know? Because I you always want him to succeed. At least I always want. I do. To he's a great guy. I love yeah. Julio. And he's got he's just got a very very uh, down to earth personality. Seems like a really fun guy to be around. But you know there are some people that turn their back on him as soon as um, as soon as he struggles. Now we talked about this last week with friend of the program Jason Waddell about about the opener and whether or not Julio would work as an opener. I wonder if he's the type of guy that instead of being the opener needs somebody to you know open have, for him. Yeah, have Shane Carl come in when when he gets off the DL, or if he can regain effectiveness, or whoever, to come in, set the table, get out those first couple guys, and then let Julio go to work, build his confidence up a little bit as as the game goes along. But then again, you find out pretty quickly whether or not his struggles are related to just the first inning or just the first batters that he, that he faces. I would say it's the latter. I, it's one of the reasons why a lot of people have said, why not just put Julio in the bullpen? I don't think he works as a bullpen guy. Julio, and I've said this a thousand times, and I'm I'm not going to talk about this long because I've, I've rehearsed this so many times. It's pretty much by rote. Julio is a game feel type of pitcher. He needs to be in the game to see which of his pitches are working, to see which ones are deceiving the hitters, and what type of game plan the hitters are using against 
him. It's not going to do him any good to see what the hitter is doing against Brad Brock or Johnny Venters or Mike Fultonevich. Julio has to see what they're doing against him. That's why his first inning, you'll see him nibble and he'll walk more people in the first inning than he will in the later innings of the game because he's got to find out where he's at, which one is hitting what spot. And there's plenty of pitchers over the course of their career who've been that way. Glavin was a notoriously horrible pitcher in the first inning. And then after the first inning, when Glavin saw what he was going to get the calls on, on what hitters were going to swing at, then Glavin would be Glavin, 300-game winner. Julio is not Glavin. Now, as to what sort of value he holds, this new Julio, I'm sorry to say because I do like Julio. If you're looking for a weak link, it is definitely Julio Tehran. Uh, and it, it's, it sucks to say because he's a great guy. He's an infectious clubhouse guy. Everybody likes him. And he had such promise when he came up with the Braves that it, it sucks to see for a guy that's still really young. The problem that is people think people look at the age and they don't see the fact that he's already got over 1,000 innings on that arm. Julio is a, a bona fide veteran, veteran pitcher. And he's had some shoulder problems in the past, which took away a lot of his velocity where he used to throw 94, 95. He doesn't do that anymore. The shoulder's kind of gone. That's a lot of innings on an arm. And unfortunately, when you start looking at, at someone's value, if they, if they wind up getting moved, I mean, Julio could still work in, in the, the back end of a rotation, but if, if they're going to try and capitalize any type of value, they have to I mean, do it now. Because this is this is pretty much the last point in time where his contract you can look at it and say is is somewhat of a value for what he is because I believe well, he'll start making twelve and thirteen million after this year. Yeah, Anthopoulos is in the the very unenviable position of trying to find a pitcher who's got escalating uh, contract but but declining performance. So who do you, at that point you're you can't just flip him for prospects or whatever, which was the, for the longest time, that was, that was kind of where the, the, the mind would go when you start looking at what can we get for this asset that we've got. So now I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know what you actually wind up doing with him because in the same way that, that certain guys were getting leapfrogged in the, in the prospect world, then Julio's about to be there too, and when you've and you've got a healthy Soroka with Fulty and Newcomb and, and Freed, if he can stay healthy, and Tuki and Gahara and all these guys, you've got quite a logjam already. Now he has seniority, Julio does, so maybe you can make a case, or maybe who who knows? It's just there's no there's no easy answer for what to do with him, but. It's not going to be a massive haul for him. It might be I, God, a lottery ticket and somebody term. that you got to eat some salary for. That's Either what that I was thinking like a, is, is somebody that's high paid that that the team wants to get rid of his salary and they'll take Julio and then you get a lottery ticket as well. Bad contract swap. And it's weird because it's you don't think of thirteen million and think, oh, that's a bad contract. It's more about the future value of that contract, and unfortunately for Julio, with the way that the game is played right now and his stuff right now, it it is a very precarious position that he's in. Now, every bit of me hopes that he randomly comes out and just turns it and gets on fire and just discovers who he is and fulfills the prophecy of what he was when we got him. Every bit of me hopes that uh, there's a reason why 
that is there, there's a reason why fantasy books are called fantasy books, and that's a fantasy right there. Um, moving on from the pitchers, though, real quick, we'll get back to them at another date because uh, we do have a few announcements. We got to make some call ups that have happened, uh, a few guys that have made some debuts that we have not discussed yet. But I want to talk some happy talk now. So, what makes me happiest? That's Ronald Acuna doing Ronald Acuna things, like dominating this series mashing homers a 452 foot bomb in the uh, uh, last night's game and then robbing a home run in the next inning is it just me or does Acuna look like a substantially better fielder when he plays center field as opposed to when he plays left he does he he seems he he wants that spotlight he wants to be the guy that has to cover the most ground you know he just he looks like a natural out there I've, he's a joy to watch and if I don't know, Doc, if you've watched this Driven, but if you see a Braves rain delay, chances are you've seen the the Andrew Jones Driven episode. Very good episode, by the way. But one thing that sticks out every time I hear that is they were worried about Andrew being bored. I, I have that same thing with Ronald Acuna. He is that guy that seems to work out best when he's in a big spot, whether he's hitting leadoff and playing center field instead of batting sixth and playing left field, where he is in a spot where every bit of his attention has to go to what he's doing because he has he has more pressure on him. He seems to be a pressure type player, which I love, um, but I need his instincts to get better. Because he's not playing center field when Christian Pache is ready. Uh, because Pache is actually more analogous to Andrew Jones than Ronald Acuna is. But for what it is, I, there I could count on one hand the number of players who are more exciting in baseball than Ronald Acuna. And it's pretty much just going to be Mike Trout, Francisco Lindor, Mookie Betts. That's probably about it. And then even then, I'd say that he is at least as exciting as everybody not named Mike Trout. Um and this, this series, now, I don't like the Nationals, but this series has been even more fun for me because you get to see Ronald Acuna and Juan Soto going head-to-head, and both players were just outstanding for the series. Oh, absolutely. They, they This is turning into such a young man's game, and it's it's awesome to see these two guys going out there, the most dynamic, electrifying players on the field are 19 and 20 years old. Just such a wonderful future ahead. And you're and saying I, that, by the way, not to interrupt anymore, but you're saying that for teams that for teams that include Bryce Harper and Freddie Freeman. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I look forward, and, and I mean this strictly in jest, I look forward to hating Juan Soto's guts for a really long time. It's, you know, this is this could be like our... Uh, Magic versus Bird matchup. And I won't hate like, Juan Soto. I love watching that kid play. Oh, no. I love watching him play. I just hate watching him. he plays I, us. Right. Because you know he's going to do something. Even watching him get thrown out of the game last night was like, what a badass. Look at that kid go. Which, by you the know, way, he, he completely had a point there. Uh, I'm as big a Braves fan as you will find, but that pitch from Fulty at no point in that entire AB had the strike zone at all. Uh, not from the very start, so he was right to be upset about the call. And then for anybody that thinks that he showed up the umpire, uh, Soto actually handled that the way you are supposed to. When he digs into the box, he's digging in and talking to the umpire without looking at him. That is the unwritten rule in baseball, is that say what you need to say, but don't show up the umpire. Don't be in the umpire's face about it. And then the umpire 
took a little umbrage and basically dared him to say it to his face, and he did, and then threw him out, which is why Dave Martinez did not get tossed, despite trying his hardest to get tossed. Yeah, Soto was really diplomatic about it. You know, just very matter-of-factly went up there and like, hey, so uh, about that last call, that was that was kind of bad. He didn't come charging out of the dugout like George Brett or anything. <laughs> One you of know? the iconic videos ever. Yeah, I and I you can actually see Joe Simpson. This is the one who's like, who's pushing uh, George Brett back during that uh, during the fracas. But yeah, I mean, foreshadowing. You see, yeah, yeah. So so you like, I, I don't know. He had a point, and there was a little bit of ump show going on there too. And and I think that that uh, even the the post game comments about it were very deflective and meant to. Like he was admitting that he kind of screwed up without admitting that he screwed up. So, well, it's obvious to anybody that's that's watched the game or or umpired before. That's why he let Dave Martinez say whatever he wanted because Dave Martinez was trying to get tossed. That's why he kept going back at him. He was trying to get thrown out for his player, and instead the hitting coach gets tossed because somebody had to go. But right. <laughs> the ump the ump let Martinez kind of rail him because the ump kind of realized yeah that was probably my bad I probably shouldn't have taken my mask off and gone after him like that but to that point there watching those two go head to head they're so incredibly electric for two totally different reasons like Ronald Acuna has this just special dynamite possibility where you don't know what he's going to do, but at any point in this game, he could completely change this game, whether it's robbing a home run, whether it's mashing something huge, 450 feet, or whether it's legging out a double when it should have been a single or, or what have you. Soto is just that guy that is this inexorable this inexorable force where there I have not ever seen a 19-year-old with his type of batter's eye. His hitter's eye is incredible. He has an OBP over 420. And this is no longer small sample size for him. Like, this is definitive looks at what he is. These two have mirrored each other's hype coming up through the system in in almost the exact same ways. And Juan Soto wasn't even the guy who was going to get called up. Victor Robles had to get injured for Juan Soto to get his call up. And for a team that's losing Bryce Harper, or potentially losing Bryce Harper, they are, Soto is going to take that torch, and Soto looks to me, to me anyway, looks to me like he might be the better player of the two. The most amazing thing about Soto here, and I know that there are probably a whole bunch of people that are listening to this. Uh, Very mad at me right back, now. Get back to Brave stuff, but like Soto started the season in low A. Low, low A. a. <laughs> and he is now dominating. Like he's shooing for rookie of the year. God knows I... I Love I love Acuna. Acuna, but Soto's got it. Unless he gets yeah. hurt. Yeah, I mean, and Acuna, if uh, let me put it like this. If Acuna keeps doing what he's been doing since he moved to leadoff, then he could definitely put his name in that conversation. He's looked so much better since he moved to leadoff. Like his, his OPS is like 1,100 since he, he moved to the top of the order. But there were some times where he looked kind of lost a little bit. He was getting killed with up and in fastballs. Uh, but outside of Soto and Acuna, I mean, who are you looking at? Brian Anderson from Miami? The, who's gonna Who's gonna take that? Take that? So I don't know. Kid's special. He's really special to watch. And like I said, fully ingest. I look forward to uh, 
booing him uh, and you know for at least the foreseeable future but since he's he's the same age as harper was when harper came up then soto will wind up demolishing the nl east until he's 26 and then he'll go play for the dodgers it's just too it's just a totally different type of personality for this dude like he he seems so down to earth there's nothing about him to this point that like with harper it was easy to not like him because of the attitude because harper was always good harper was a guy that was being talked about at 13 years old as being the lebron james of baseball and harper did nothing to dissuade it he was amazing he went for goodness sake he went and played college ball at like 16 to go play in a wood bat league and he dominated. Harper was incredible. He's also a total tool, personality-wise. He's very, very arrogant, as most, as many people who are that talented are. And it's very obvious. Now, when you see him interacting with Freddie Freeman over at first base, that gives you a better look into how Harper is in the clubhouse. But guys like Mark DeRosa, who played with him, have already stated that he's not for everybody. Not everybody will get along with him, as evidenced by Papelbon trying to choke him. Uh, not everybody can can deal with a guy like Bryce Harper. Juan Soto does not seem to have any of that. He seems to have this completely humble and quiet personality as just a big, strong kid having fun playing the game who just goes out and mashes oppo tacos like it's nothing. He is a, he's a very easy guy to root for, Like even, even if he's uh, somebody that's on the other team. But I'll tell you one person that absolutely does – not like Juan Soto. That is Joe Simpson. <laughs> I was wondering when we'd get to this topic. Yeah, I mean, okay, so I'm sure that whoever's listening to this knows that uh, Joe Simpson, for the second time in the last three weeks, took a a very backhanded swipe at Juan Soto for maybe being 19 years old. And I don't know how big of a deal this necessarily would have been if he wasn't just broiled in this other controversy for, for talking smack about another team. But uh, where, where do you come in on this? I mean, I just, I was watching the game and when he made the comment, like I was, I was looking down, I think I was on, on game coverage for this. So I'm like typing something out. And as soon as I hear him say that, like my ears perk up, like I'm a German shepherd and I'm just like, what dude, what did you say? (laughs) You can't do that. Here's my piece on it. And I, they asked me about this Wednesday on the front row. Uh, if you ever listen, you won't know me by Dylan on that show. I am Turtle on the front row for any of you who, who did not make the connection. And if this is what I come back to. If it weren't Joe Simpson saying it, I don't think it would have been as big of a deal. To me personally, it wasn't. I don't personally, I don't feel that Joe was necessarily going after Juan Soto as much as he was more saying, the dude is a big boy. The problem is, as most things with Joe, it did not come out well at all. Uh, I think that this is much less of a deal than what he said about Chase Utley and the take away the cancer shirts. What he said about the Dodgers uh, warm up gear in general. That just screams old man to me. What he said following where he was talking about having his man growth and all that stuff. To me, he was more being complimentary about Soto. It does not bother me as much other than the fact of, dude, you are like if you say that in the in with your buddy in the room, okay. Fine. But you are a professional announcer who is 
just apologized for being unprofessional, you have to have more awareness. And maybe it's just because Joe's old. He don't care. He's in the Braves Hall of Fame now. Whatever. It don't matter for him no more. And because Joe knows he's probably not going to be doing this job a whole lot longer. And to Joe, it probably seemed pretty innocuous because he didn't say, I doubt he's 19. It's just, it's, it's not a good look for somebody that just was in, was just the top page story for saying that about, about Chase Utley and the Dodgers. And now was the number two story on ESPN for saying that about Juan Soto. In and of itself, I don't think the comment was was anything to get riled up about necessarily. It was a dumb comment, but it's not something that like, oh no, you got to get fired for that. I don't think it was something like that. I just think it was a bad move by Joe Simpson because he's Joe Simpson. I'll say well, that. When, vi- when viewed in a vacuum, the, you're right. The the Soto thing is not nearly as bad as the um, as the Dodgers saying he wasn't coming out and saying anybody was unprofessional. For for this, I mean, where he was getting into talking about age fraud, that was a thing once. Eight but, years ago was the last time. Right, and even then it had started to dwindle off, you know, and w- when you're looking at, I think Raphael Fercal was one that, that it came out that he yeah, was... Yeah, but Fercal uh, was the other way. He was younger than he said he was. Right, which is, which is odd, but, you know, when when you're trying to make a connection between these things, like I get it, but I mean, it's still been like a decade and what there are ways to make the point without it. It just came off as accusatory, you know, and it's, and it's kind of myopic because you're looking at Ronald Acuna going, wow, we had this super wunderkind 20 year old, but that kid ain't 19. There's no way that kid over there that's talented is as good as our kid who's over here, who's talented. So, um, it was. It's just weird, and yeah, when you're under a microscope, even even if it's somebody that doesn't have any type of outstanding event at any point during their career, let alone two weeks ago, where there's already people just waiting to jump on something stupid <laughs> that he that he said, you know. So I don't know. I think the the Dodgers thing was kind of a, a bad look for the organization because whether you like it or not, you are kind of speaking on behalf of the team. If you're like the voice of the team and, and this is just a little more like, uh, this was just not man. well thought out. The Dodgers one he planned this one. I fully believe was just something that he said off the cuff. That one with the Dodgers, he pre-planned that and had them pull video so he could actually get angry and yell at the cloud. But I, again, if it weren't Joe Simpson saying it, if there weren't so many people that were tired of Joe Simpson and wanted Jim Powell uh, and Frenchie on the TV cast already, then I don't think it would have blown up as big as it did. It was still stupid either way. He shouldn't have said it. Glad he, clear, he cleared it up in the second game. Personally, for me, that one it, that one doesn't hold the same water. Like If he hadn't said what he did about the Dodgers, I don't think we – I think people would have looked at him a little funny, but I don't think it would have blown up. Um, now – from one, I guess you could say, underperforming member of the Braves community to one who is starting to turn it around. Ender Inciarte getting to start today kind of caused a little bit of a stir across the Twitter sphere when it was assumed and when it was said that he would be platooning with Adam Duvall against lefties. And then Ender gets to start against Gio Gonzalez, who happens to be a lefty. 
I did not really, I didn't mind this, and I'll get into why I didn't after this, but I wanted to ask you first, did you have a problem with Ender and Ciarte starting today? Not really. I, the The sample size against Geo, he was hitting 440 against Geo, and I can't remember exactly what the, the number of plate appearances was, but it was good enough to where you have to take a look and say, this guy has been heating up recently, just in general, and he's hit this guy well in the past before. So that's that's worthy of, of taking a gamble on. So I, I understood it. It, se- it seemed a little strange to after just a couple of days to, to kind of turn back around on something that had been previously said. But I, I get that more today than if it had been against somebody like Kershaw. And What do you think? I, I don't mind Ender starting against Geo. He had he had the numbers and it was a decent enough sample size to where it's actual numbers, not like he's two for four against him. He had actual numbers <laughs> against him. And Ender traditionally is a second half hitter. And he's done very well this second half. And another point is I don't mind rewarding Ender for his substantially better play since this, this since the, the calendar turned over from the All-Star break. Here's a guy that last year was the bell of the ball, was was one of the guys that the Braves were going to build around. Uh, completely horrible this year. Could not do anything right offensively after an extremely hot start. Don't forget, he hit six homers like right out of the gate. It looked like he was going to improve upon a season ago and then just tanked. So he gets, he gets told, and everybody knows that he gets told, hey, we're acquiring this piece right here. Adam Duvall, and you're going into a platoon. You're going to go to the bench now against lefties because we don't think that you're good enough to be in the lineup. And he responded very well. For a guy that had a lot of problems earlier this season and most of this season with body language, since the second half has started, you haven't really seen that with Ender. He's been more like the guy from a season ago. He said all the right things, and he's performed well. So... In this instance, I'm okay with rewarding Ender. Now, it didn't work out today, but I'm okay with that. Adam Duvall is not a guy that I am going to break down doors to get starts for. He's just not that guy. So I'm I'm okay with that. And the whole thing about Ender after the All-Star break is that he's changed the, the batted ball profile. Like We talked about this in the time leading up to the All-Star break where it's First or second pitch of the at-bat, he's going to roll over it, ground out to second base. Like, set your watch to it. It was really perplexing. But what he's doing now, he's hitting the ball in the air. He's hitting line drives. You can just tell that he's actually – he's hitting it hard, which is which is excellent to see. So, if you're going to sit somebody in the, the regular lineup, um, you know – even if it's kind of a platoon, Ender's the type of guy who now, the way that he's hitting, you can you can make the case where he can get the occasional start against a lefty. Especially because I, Duvall can run into power, and that's about it. Um, Duvall doesn't get on base at all. Uh, he strikes out a ton. He's a good defender, uh, but he's not, he, he profiles as a fourth outfielder. Basically, I never thought when we acquired Duvall, I never thought we were getting a full-time, uh, a full platoon piece. I thought we were basically upgrading Preston Tucker. That's what I thought we we're doing. I still think that's what we did. Uh, I think ideally people should hope that Ender continues this kind of resurgent 
Moxie over here and, and starts hitting this way for the rest of the season because you'd rather have an outfield that has Marcakis, Ender, and Acuna than an outfield that has Acuna, Marcakis, and Duvall. Better defense, and if Ender's hitting, then there you go there too. It's a more consistent on base than Adam Duvall. The one that I had a problem with, and I hope I'm wrong, uh, and I've been assured by friend of the show, Andy Harris, that I am wrong, but Camargo getting the off day against the lefty today as Dansby goes to short and Charlie Culberson starts at third base. When it was announced that they would start platooning Dansby against righties, uh, if this ends up being a full, a full platoon with Camargo, I will be livid. And I am not a guy that has called for Brian Snicker's head, but if this opportunity ends up, and if Brian Snicker can't bring himself to to start Camargo every day and sit Dansby most days, then I will be livid. Charlie's a guy that, for some reason, he absolutely obliterates the Nationals. And it's hilarious to see. Uh, and Charlie's been outstanding this year. He's completely changed his player profile, where before he was a, def- uh, a great glove, bad with the bat. This year, it's been the complete opposite. He's been great with the bat. He's been, I, it would be, the best you'd say is he's been average with the glove. He's probably been a little bit below that, particularly at shortstop. Dansby has been really, really bad offensively. There's no other way around it for anybody that likes Dansby. He's been horrible offensively. He's, this is how bad it's been. He is having a, he's he's the 20th rated shortstop out of minimum qualifier vet bats. Of like, was it, I think 200 minimum minimum at-bats at shortstop? He's the 20th ranked shortstop. He is almost 20 points better in his weighted runs created plus than he was a year ago. That's how bad Dansby's bat has been since that two-month stretch when he first came up. Now, his defense has been much, 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 much better. It's He's very smooth. His transfer is very good. He knows exactly what he's doing. His first step is really good, and he's taken to the defensive positionings quite well. But there is no doubt right now that if you're looking for a weak link, you cannot have Ender and Dansby in the same lineup consistently. That is too large of a hole, and maybe Ender continues turning around, but until you're definitive that Ender is going to be a 300-type hitter again, for the remainder of the season, you cannot have three give me outs in a lineup. You just can't do it. Yeah, the first two, three weeks before Dansby went on the, the DL uh, around about April 15th or so, that was who everyone was hoping that he was going to be. You know, first overall pick, former uh, Braves top prospect overall, fourth prospect overall in the game. You started to see the pedigree come into life. And then when he came back, he just kind of fell off. And you hate to see it because, you know, we were talking about guys that are that just seem uh, like Julio. You know, he just seems like a really good dude. It's like, I just I like that guy. I just I, I really like that guy. And then you go out and you watch him struggle. And it's like, uh, I like you more when you're doing better. And I, I don't ever want it to have to be like that. But, you know, Culberson. I don't know if Culberson is like an everyday starter, but when you're looking at the alternative of kind of moving things around, then you have to extract the most value out of positions on both sides of the ball. And at this point, you know, I've, I've never been a Dansby hater, but it's, it's been tricky and having a seven, eight, nine of, of Ender Dansby and, and pitcher slot, especially if it's faulty, my God, 
then yeah, you're right. That's it's not necessarily three automatic outs, but if you're playing the odds, then it's not looking too good at the bottom of the lineup. But Ender, as I said, Ender has gotten better. So, so maybe he turns can, it around. It's just it's can, one of those things, man. And I and I always come off as the dance hater. <laughs> Trust me, I'm aware of it. Um, I would love for Dansby to fulfill the profile that everybody thought and dreamed when he was the number one overall pick and the fourth overall prospect. I'd love it when Fangraph slapped a 65 hit tool on him, which I thought was, I didn't know what they were watching. Um, but my, my case in point on Dansby is not Dansby himself because Dansby is a fine young man. He has a ton of great qualities. His leader, his leadership quality, by the way, that that is not a joke. He is the quintessential type of leader type of player. He is that type of guy. His attitude is exactly what you want in a clubhouse. He is a guy that holds people to a standard. He doesn't hold himself to any lower standard. He's just not good offensively. And he hasn't been for the majority of his career going all the way back to college. People got so hyped up, and we talked about this before the show. People got so hyped up on Dansby for his SEC tournament run and the College World Series that they ignored everything else up to that point. Dansby has never been a superlative hitter. That's why he was like a 26th round pick coming out of high school. And then you toss in the fact that he wasn't. This is one that people that kind of gets overlooked. Yes, Dansby was the number one overall pick by Dave Stewart, a GM that everyone in Braves country is convinced is the worst GM of all time, and that we completely fleeced on every move that we ever considered with them, and everybody else did as well. So why on earth would you think that that guy made the correct pick when you already know he didn't with Aaron Blair? I once was of the opinion that Aaron Blair was going to be the most valuable part of that trade, so I'm no better than Dave Stewart, really. Oh, but that That's kind of my point. If he didn't have a, a good – if you thought that he was a horrible GM, why would you think that he'd suddenly be able to make a good draft pick or the correct pick? And it wasn't the correct pick. We already know that Alex Bregman should have been number one overall or Andrew Benintendi, but that's hindsight. Now, granted, Bregman was the other one in contention to go 1-1 in that draft, and he should have gone number one. But – that's neither here nor there. Dansby's defense does make him a positive a positive player this year. I'm not going to say that he's completely without merit. And it's not even the fact that I don't think that you should let a young guy learn. It's the fact that you're in a pennant race and the fact that the guy that you are arguing about starting over him has been demonstrably better. And you're not taking a huge hit defensively. My biggest problem is the number one thing that makes people want to start Dansby is not his baseball skill. It's because they like Dansby because he's a good-looking young man with great hair, phenomenal beard, and he's a hometown kid, played at Marietta High School. And he was the number one overall pick. Those are the two things. Camargo was a nobody prospect who nobody had on their lists. Uh, never had any real real inkling that he was going to do this. Came out of nowhere for a lot of people. They played the same amount of time. That's my only thing. All I really care about, since Andrelton got traded, I don't really get as attached to players anymore. There's still a few, like Ronald Acuna and Joey Wentz and Giancarlo Carlos and rest in peace, uh, and Izzy Wilson. But for the most part, 
I don't get as attached to the players anymore. So I don't really care. Whatever is the most optimal alignment of players is all I want to see. And the whole defense winning championships thing, playing a great defense is not enough anymore to be a starting player in this league. You have to be able to contribute something offensively. Case in point, Tyler Flowers. Tyler Flowers is a is one of the better pitch framers. He's a decent defensive catcher, but he's a really good pitch framer. And even though he's not hitting really well this year, although he's turning it around, we should probably give him some plug for that, he has consistently been getting on base. He walks a ton. If Dansby's not going to be able to hit, then he needs to be able to walk. And that is something that Dansby can definitively work on and improve. That's not a luck-driven thing. That is something that Dansby can work on to do better. Now, if Dansby gets the OBP up to like a 320, even though he's hitting 240, then you'll see his value double just for the fact that he's now not a black hole on offense. That's down the rabbit hole, I know, but I always feel like I have to defend why I'm not on the Dansby train. It's okay. Um, you know, you make that same point a year ago, people say you're crazy. You make that same point two years ago, people say you're really crazy. You make that point now, I think people are starting to kind of figure it out a little bit. But what, and, I, and, and I'm not I'm not a Dansby hater at all. I just want to win. That's really it. You know, I don't care who's in. Whoever's doing, whoever has shown that they're the better player, that's all I want. That That's all I really care. Just get me a good team, please. I don't want any more of this being the worst team. I don't want teams where we're running out Eric Ibar type of players. I want to win something. The light at the end of the tunnel is getting brighter for that. And and it still remains to be seen where some of these guys that we hung our hopes on for the longest time, Dansby and Ender and Julio, uh, you know, if these guys are going to wind up being around when the Braves finally do win the World Series. And, and I, I do believe the Braves are going to win a World Series, and that's not just the homer in me. I mean, you, you look at the rebuilds for the past couple of years, and the last three World Series winners have been teams that endured long, lengthy rebuilds and just stocked up on talent. And, you know, they will they will hang a banner at SunTrust. But it still remains to be seen whether some of these guys will still be with the team when uh when that happens uh, except for peter moylan you know i think that he's gonna he's gonna be around for forever but i mean speaking of that well it, it is funny to see that while moylan and freeman have been on the dl all of a sudden the bullpen has gone from being absolute trash to being pretty good and brad brock has been a, a welcome addition johnny venters i love johnny venters and he's actually the fact that he's been great I really it's really secondary to the fact that I just love Johnny Venters. Like I said, that people just love Dansby because they like Dansby. I love Johnny Venters just because I love Johnny Venters. Johnny Venters could have Moylan's ERA. I'd still want Johnny on the team just because I like Johnny. So good on the bullpen. It's going to be interesting when you get to free agency, and we're we're rapidly running short on time here. So we're just going to do a, a quick little look right here. Once I was thinking about this the other day. I'm figuring at least when you get into the offseason, it was pretty much assumed by most, myself included, that the bullpen is going to be the biggest area of need. So you take a look. You've got to figure Minter, Brock. Minter, I figured they'll try to bring back Brock as long as he doesn't get crazy on price. Uh, Viz, Winkler, Carl, Biddle. All those, 
it's pretty assured they're going to be in the bullpen next year as well. I think that they'll try to re-sign Brock because I don't think he'll be super expensive, and I think he's shown enough. But you start looking at the relievers on the market, and I'm not even considering Craig Kimbrell because I'm trying to keep this under under $12 million per because I think that's about as much as I'd pay for a reliever since Winter's the closer. You got guys like, how would you feel about an Adam Warren, a Cody Allen, or a Dan Jennings? Some combination, because I think you need one lefty, you need one righty. You got Adam Ottavino, who's been lights out for Colorado. Aaron Loop, who we all hate because he broke Freddie's wrist, but is a fairly decent lefty reliever. Warren's going to be a free agent. Justin Wilson, Sergio Romo, who I got yelled at for for mentioning that before. Um, So I guess scratch him out. Cody Allen. No, I could I could see Allen. Don't forget Darren O'Day is going to be in the picture as well because he came over in the Gaussman trade. So he was incredibly effective for Baltimore before he wound up hurting his hamstring. So if if I remember correctly, he was like over 11K per nine and under two walks per nine. He's making $9 million next year. So uh, he's not pitching for the rest of this year, which is a shame, but he, his injury is not arm related. So that could wind up being a sneaky good pickup. Uh, and and that allows you to kind of trim some of the the other fat. I agree with you. I was just thinking about this last night that Brock would be a really really good guy to bring back. Uh, he's been great since he came to Atlanta. You see what happens when you play in front of a good defense and see what happens. Means something. Let, let's be honest. Uh, this is what happens when you get away from Roger McDowell. I think we can be honest about it. Well, and I, th- I think that that is, that is one of the factors. I would imagine that, that playing in Baltimore right now is is really, really tough. I mean, it's we're recording this on August 9th, and this is not a joke. I think the Orioles are about to be eliminated from playoff contention. They've there are like, two months left in the season. Their magic number to be eliminated is like eight. That's insane. That's not supposed to happen. You know, granted, they are by far – I mean, they are terrible, and they're – and Boston is playing at a record clip, so this is this is not supposed to. I mean, they're. By the way, they're tied for the worst team with the Royals. They're not the only team that's been that bad. God, that's amazing. It's it's so funny to see all these different teams tanking. Where it's, you've got like seven teams that are that are. I know the T word is kind of frowned upon, but if you got seven different teams that are tanking, um, somebody's got to finish. Somebody's got to be the best of the worst, right? So, like, we sucked all season and we got the seventh draft pick or, or something. It's like and this is this is where having too many different teams doing it at once really, really comes comes to backfire. But, man, I don't know. Brock, Brock has been a really, really good pickup. And Ventures, too, aside from the feel-good story, but, like, they were required for the right to spend international money. And that, that was the funny thing about the Gaussman trade, too. It was like... You're two and a two and a half million dollars worth of like the privilege of of spending money. Like that was that for Victor Victor Mesa, who they may not even wind up getting. So that that trade, I just I don't think I got to expound last week on how how much I love that that Gaussman trade. But the getting O'Day in that deal, like I said, that could be a sneaky good pickup for the bullpen next year. And I think um, I think you're right about the guys that are coming back. I mean, Minter. Is he's legit? He's crazy legit back there. And just the addition by subtraction of having Brock over Moylan as your as your righty and Ventures over Freeman as your lefty. I mean, that's that's huge because 
you look at some of these games over the over the past week or so when Freeman would have been the first man in when you have somebody else coming in, whether it's Ventures or someone else, it's you almost have a little better feeling of it's like, oh, thank God we're not about to give up three runs and have to climb out of a hole. It's an interesting thing to keep an eye on. Uh, I'm going to try to play this as we get a little bit closer towards the end of the season and I get a better feel for for who looks to be guys really coming back or who seems to be pumpkins. I'm going to have a little bit better idea. Uh, so we'll get back to that later. But final thing, uh, I did mention earlier that we will be at Social Media Night next week, the 18th. Uh, make sure you come say hey to us. We also know... We have heard through the grapevine that the Nakahoma boys will be there. And uh, in an effort for two podcasts to come together, uh, we are going to show our supremacy as the number one Braves podcast in the land. Um, Tweet us your ideas of what you'd like to see us compete in. Now, it's not going to matter. Doc and I are obviously going to win pretty much any challenge that doesn't involve trolling. We'll win. Um, But tweet us your ideas. If you want to see us in in a... uh, three-legged race uh if you want to see josh and i go at it in a oh what do you call it a, a a sack race where you wear the where you're jumping around in the potato sack whatever it is tweet us some good ideas if you have a good idea we'll give you a shout out if your idea sucks we'll probably block you just saying no pressure <laughs> well um yeah that's uh that's high stakes there uh i personally am looking forward to uh, facing off against Ken in a javelin match or maybe like shot put or something like that. So I will have to do this in one of the big open lots uh, early on before a lot of cards get there because the last thing I want to have to deal with uh, before the game is like uh, replacing somebody's windshield because I put it out <laughs> with a shot put. I mean, it, it, it's almost like they should probably just not respond because we are going to win. Uh, to everybody out there, I hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you guys so much for for subscribe to us taking the time to listen to us you can find us on on all over the map you can find us on itunes on stitcher blah 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 you know the rules by now thank you guys so much have a great week we hope to see you next weekend we will catch you next week right here on the platinum sombrero Thanks, bye.